Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. In my 27 years as a Victorian policewoman, I investigated everything from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. Policing taught me a lot about human nature, which I explore in my podcasts with a variety of fascinating guests discussing the human side and impact of crime, not only on their lives, but mine as well. My podcasts are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. If you find yourself affected by my subject matter, please contact Lifeline or any other support, service or person that you feel comfortable with. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs and not everyone will agree with them. I understand that and I hope you do too. Thank you. I thought it would be a really good idea after having next to no sleep for a few days that I'd have a can of Red Bull on the way down to hospital. So I get before this professor and the psychiatrist and I am off my head. It's like Pulp Fiction. I'm telling like five or six different stories of me and my life and what, what I think's happened, but it's all bunched around together. And I go, how the hell could they have interpreted any of that? And he had my personality and everything about me picked apart to a T within about 15 minutes. And I've gone, all right, respect. I first heard Mark Thomas interviewed on the Police Veterans Victoria podcast called The Plodcast. What a great name for a podcast run by former police, Um, which is available to anyone to listen to, by the way. Mark's interview really struck a chord with me. He was such a down-to-earth, honest and, and really unusually frank policeman that I found over working over a couple of decades. But he talked so openly about his battle with um, post-traumatic stress. But the difference with Mark is that he's still a serving current Victoria Police member. Mark was able to recover enough from his um, post-traumatic stress to be able to return to work, but much of that was because of the unwavering support of his supervisors. His immediate supervisor understood more than many about how to deal with a member trying to manage psychological injuries, and the difference that that has made to Mark's recovery is, to be honest, incredible. Mark loved policing. He loved helping people in their darkest sad 
quietest hours, helping them when they believed or thought that there wasn't any help. He was the strong and steady head and hand that they needed and he had it in bucket loads for the first seven years of his career until the 8th of April 2003. Mark still doesn't know exactly what it was about this incident that affected him so badly but affect him it did. It took 10 years for him to fall over or collapse psychologically. But there were little signs during those 10 years which Mark thought was just normal when being confronted with trauma in just about every shift of his policing career. He was becoming extremely mentally injured. Anyway, so thanks for your time today, Mark. Welcome to uh, NFI uh, on this first day of our daylight savings. <laughs> Morning, Narelle. How are you? Uh, very well. As I told you before, woke up and forgot to turn my clocks back, <laughs> but <laughs> but everything's good now, and I believe you've had a bit of an issue this morning as well. Yeah, yeah. Some clients decided to claim my Facebook profile, so don't accept any friend requests from me out there. <laughs> Uh, as I said to you, they could do a lot worse. No. Anyway, so so uh, Mark, your first seven years of policing, uh, you said was everything you expected. You just loved it. Yeah, there were sad times. There was traumatic stuff, stressful stuff. But to you, it was just such a good feeling to be able to help people, like you said. So tell us what it is that you loved about those first seven years. Well, it's that... It's that ability to put a smile on someone's face on their worst day. Uh, I reckon that's just an enormously powerful thing mm. that we can do. And that, like, there's two instances. One, I went to a burg on Christmas morning where all the presents were gone, and it was, you know, like, they, and they had small kids, and mm. you know, <laughs> just a horrible, horrible situation. Um, so I grabbed the, uh, I grabbed one of the lads and I put him on my lap and sat him inside the police car and got <laughs> him to let let the sirens go. Some Aww. some neighbours might have been too happy, but bad luck. This was, <laughs> you know, and then got him to switch the lights on and pretend that he was driving and, and things like that. And yeah, yeah, you know, for something so easy for us to do, it actually made a really bad situation. Um, just that little bit better. I mean, obviously, traumatic experience being burgled, but, you know, we were able to turn that around and, you know, they're the really cool sort of situations that you can do. Mm. And, and what was one, the other one? Yeah, well, yeah. Pe- people, I've been asked a lot over the years, what's your um, uh, the favourite shift you've ever done or the best experience? And, like, right up there is uh, there was a uh, youth portfolio member from Transit who – uh, bought a busload of uh, Indigenous lads down. They were between 6 and 16 years old and they were coming into Collingwood to go to the Collingwood Footy Club and this is when I was working at Collingwood. And we got to spend the day with them and, and it was just brilliant. Like mm-hmm. we took them to Victoria Park and they had a kick around on the Oval uh, then we took him to the Fitzroy Gym and Dean Rioli, who was then playing for Essen Footy Club, he was there. Oh, yeah. And we managed to snag him, got him on the bus, and he had a chat to the boys. And then we went to the MCG that night. And these kids had never been to a city before. And wow. I'm pretty sure it was Collingwood and Richmond playing. There's like 80,000 people there. And these kids were just <laughs> – like it was quite frightening for them at one stage, but once they settled in, it was great. 
and that, like they just had a ball. And this is the uh, this is the side of policing a lot of people don't see. Uh, and, and it was it, it was just a brilliant, brilliant day. Uh, and I think we're getting paid for this. This is pretty cool. <laughs> you know that gives me goosebumps. I cannot imagine the thrill for you, let alone the kids, but for you to see those kids just so. Um, uh, you know, their eyes would be wide open and to meet an Indigenous, uh, just a, a a magnificent Indigenous player, I hate to say it because he plays for Essendon and not Richmond, although <laughs> we do have a, we do have a Rioli in Richmond or two now, but just to, the, the thrill of being able to, as you say, to see the thrill on those kids' faces, that's something they would never, ever forget. Correct. And we we're able mm. to, you know, we we're able to do that. And again, you know, like people, most people's communication with police is when they're being pulled over or they've been like Berg, which I said earlier, or, you know, mm. assaults and things like that. And they don't see or hear about the other side of it and this side of it, which was, that was, and when I am asked that question, that is generally always the first thing that comes to my mind because it was, it was just such a special day. And and uh, just not, in, not wanting to digress too much, but any time at the G with 80,000 people, no no matter who is playing, it's a magnificent feeling, oh, isn't yeah. it? I oh, just, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're two of the moments that you just think are, are wonderful. And uh, just going back to that, the Berg that you told me about or told us about, did you ever find those I was going to say low lifes. That's a terrible <laughs> word. But did you ever find those people that did that burg on that house? Unfortunately, not. Oh, okay. And that was always again. You'd understand this. One of the great things is is processing people who do those burgs just to give closure and comfort to the victims. But yeah, mm. unfortunately, on that occasion, it was a nil none for us. Mm. But but you know, I I think again, like those indigenous kids. Those kids that were able to get in the police car and do that, that would be the best Christmas present ever. Yeah, they enjoyed it. They let the sirens go a fair few times. Just, <laughs> there you go, boys, go your hardest. You know, that's one of the things that I miss and and even us, like to put on the, the lights and sirens or the blueies as we call them, oh, boy, that gets the uh, adrenaline pumping, doesn't oh, it? It's a great feeling. Yeah. Mm. Massive adrenaline dumps. Yeah, 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 it is, it is. Um, so there's some of the great, uh, really, oh, what we're thrilling things that you can uh, do to help people. But then, uh, as I said in my introduction, then came the 8th of April 2003. So could you tell us about that day in as much detail or little detail as you feel comfortable? It was like, so I've been in the job six and a half years or so. I graduated in October 96 and like every other uh, copper, what we do, you see your fair share of trauma. I was always okay with it because we had a job to do. Mm. Yeah, at the other end of that, you know, unfortunately, deceased person's a brother, a mother, a father, a sister, boyfriend, a girlfriend, etc. So you got to, we've got to do our job right. So their grieving period is as uh, if we can help out in that period, obviously that's a good thing. But we rolled up outside. Uh, we got a call as a suicide. I won't go into detail, so I don't want to overtly trigger people. But uh, we rolled up. Um, 
And there's nothing different about it, but when I looked at the deceased, I looked at the deceased mm. for all of uh, 0.33 of a second, which Google tells me is the blink of an eye, and uh, I looked straight away, and I, I physically felt it in my chest. Uh, I, it was something I'd never experienced before. I'd never reacted that way to a trauma scene or a deceased person before. Mm. So I just said to my side, I'm, I'm out of here, which is, uh, again, something I'd never done before. Uh, and I just I couldn't, couldn't be in that room. Um, if I was to describe in minute details, I can describe everything about the inside the unit and everything, what the deceased was wearing, what it looked like and things like that. It was like an image, uh, a moment in time that was absolutely burnt into my memory. And like I've pulled apart that scene with Lummy, my um, Phil Lum, great mate, who was I was working with that day and we worked out that we were in the unit for probably anywhere between six to eight seconds. Yet yeah, I can describe that scene probably better than I can describe my own house. Like it's just, which is, it's a fascinating thing um, that, that that can all be burnt and imprinted into the mind. So uh, I went outside, uh, whoever went in uh, and discovered uh, the deceased uh, had evidently rang friends and family. So they started rolling up as well. So I elected to stay outside and give the death messages rather than go back inside um, and mm. and deal with the scene, which, yeah, I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of coppers over the years about this, um, and there's not too many who'd rather give death messages than deal with a crime scene. So, well, it actually wasn't a crime scene because it was a suicide, but deal with mm. the scene. So mm. uh, I knew straight away something wasn't right within me. Like, as I said, I physically felt it in my chest. Um, I didn't want to go back inside. I didn't. Uh, and then once the scene was clear, went back to the station, did the associated paperwork, and um, that was it, basically. And, you know, the first very major mistake I made along my journey, like I laugh, I have a little bit of a chuckle there. I obviously take this very, very seriously, but you know what? If I if I can't have fun with myself, you know, mm. yeah, 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 might as well. Uh, and and that because I didn't do anything about it. Like I knew something was wrong. The first phone call should have been to the police welfare unit. It was in existence then. But bearing in mind, this is two thousand and three, and mental health education and uh, was you know pretty much non-existent, and like and I'm not just talking about Victoria Police. I'm talking about the community as an absolute whole, the world as a whole, really. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was completely uneducated and naive to it. I think we all are or were. I think it's only now that we're all starting to realise the the damage that uh, constant trauma. Uh, can do to us. And and it's not even about trauma. Like people, uh, you know, get very stressed for a lot of different reasons. It's not just police, as you say, but we've got to get better, don't we? I think it's very slow. Well, yeah, it's a generational change. Uh, like you look back, yeah, you know, and again, I'm. this is I want to specify, I'm not talking about just Victoria Police here. This is a community as a whole and the stigma surrounding mental health, you know, just think happy thoughts or 
just go have a few beers. That'll help or um, get over it. You know, and, you know, the, the old, you know, very, very harmful comments, you know, that males would make, oh, you've just been a princess, you've been a little girl. That, that type of mm. Mm. that mm. type of behaviour and comments is, is just so incredibly detrimental to someone's mental health mm. when they're already struggling. So uh, I, and I'm not suggesting I copped any of that. I, I, just, I just didn't do anything about it. I just, okay, I didn't like the scene, move on. But but Mark, going back, you didn't do anything about it because you didn't think, like because you, as you said, you were uneducated. Yeah, you didn't know that um, what to do, but you didn't know that there was anything wrong. You just felt that you know. Well, I, I'm assuming you would think who wouldn't be affected by what you were uh, uh, exposed to, and that's part of my job. I've just got to move on. Is that is that sort of how you felt? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. And, and look, don't get me wrong, I don't lose any sleep over it now. It's uh, yep. I, I had that acceptance yep. straight away. And when I say straight away, 10 years later when I was in hospital, which we'll obviously talk about later, but all right, it is what it is. I was uneducated. I didn't know. And it's even like people now, uh, when they say stuff that's um, to me or they talk about it and like clearly they are un- uneducated. And I'll take that time to go, hey, look, just so you know what you said then, that's actually quite stigmatising to someone with a mental injury or someone who lives with a mental health condition. So you probably need to rephrase that. And the vast majority of times they'll go, oh, geez, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, good to know. So it's Mm -hmm. about that education. It's about getting people awareness. And I had none and, okay, so be it. I'll wear that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and... Can you tell us more about uh, at the scene, as you said, uh, point, what was it, three, three of a second? Yeah, the blink you were, of an eye. Yeah, the blink of an eye. And you said you knew something wasn't right. You said in your stump. Can you tell us more about that feeling? Yeah, it, it's a very strange feeling, like the, um, the physical feeling I felt in my chest. Uh, I... I I kind of say it was a whack, like a sharp whack of anxiety because that's when I get um, really heightened anxiety, like a proper attack, I feel it in my chest, physically feel it. Uh, mm. And I reckon it was it was that and like I, I'm, I'm still amazed that like I, I literally, as mm. quick as you can look one way and look away, that's how long I looked at the deceased for. Yeah, I can tell you he had a green T-shirt, grey cargo um, pants, no shoes, no socks, mousy brownie, short, curlyish hair, um, and I can talk about a whole lot more stuff, but I won't because it's pretty mm, yeah. details. Yeah. But I, yeah. I could, you know, and, and that, that's burnt into my memory and I looked at it for 0.33 the second and, you know, that, that's it's it was a – Trying to put into words how it feels, it's like it's a shudder. It's it was a it was a like say if you jumped into a uh, a pool that's zero degrees or one degree, that initial shock that you get, like it was just it was a, it hit me. Um, yeah, it was like a, an invisible wall come at me and just went whack. So. 
Yeah. Isn't that amazing that for that small amount of time that you looked at the deceased, that your mind was able to take in all that detail? And I think you've told me before very briefly, you could also describe, let's say, the books on the bookshelf or the coffee cup in the in the unit. Like, it's just incredible what the mind can actually absorb in that small amount of time. Yeah, correct. Um, everything, everything about that flat, I can tell you where stuff was positioned, glasses, pots and pans, the colours. And as I was saying before, you know, we were in that flat for six to eight seconds and I took all of that in and, you know, it's basically imprinted into my brain. Mark, can I ask you, that is, a, from my point of view, that's a little bit unusual and I think the listeners might feel the same. Why were you in there for that amount of time and you got out? Because normally you would have a bit of a look around, you'd, oh, God, what's happened here? Uh, I, I just think that's a little bit unusual to be in and out so quickly. Was there a reason? Did you just need to get out? You thought you were going to be sick or? Yeah, I we went in. Uh, it was a one-bedroom flat and we had a fair idea what had gone on. So we yeah. walked in, peeled around to the right, just a quick glance, looking around, looking, 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 and I looked around a, a wall and the deceased was there and then I'm out. I just said, I'm out. It was like it was just everything just happened so quickly because uh, we had an idea that this had just happened and we might be able to save this person. Okay, yeah. So it was, it was very um, – but also the door was open about an inch, so we were also mindful that, you know, are we walking into something here? Are we walking to an ambush or something? So, yeah, So yeah, to, to scan around the flat, look everywhere, blah, 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 bang, there's a deceased, I'm out. And it was an yeah. instant decision. It wasn't like, oh, geez, I don't know whether I can be in here or not. It was just, nah, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and really, in a one-bedroom flat, and I get, please, you know, it's not a criticism at all. It's just fascinating. But I'm thinking now, the one-bedroom flat. You've seen what you you've seen. Really, what is the point of being there? Yeah. You know, yeah. just get out yeah. and, and just let I'm the done. other expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. And, and that uh, that absolutely agree with what you just said. But like that was. <laughs> That wasn't on my mind to let other people take care of it. It was no. just, I'm out. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You said that you went back to the station and did the paperwork, etc. How were you for the rest of the shift and, I don't know, say that night? Like did you experience some reactions that you weren't expecting or – I can't remember totally what the rest of the day was like. I, a couple of things. Uh, so me and Lummy, for whatever reason, not every time we'd work together, but the majority of times we'd get an overdose or a, or a fatal or something. Like it was just one of those things. Um, mm. But mind you, this is Collingwood in the early 2000s, which was one of the heroin hubs of the, of the whole metro area. So it was pretty – there's lots of carnage. So every time that had happened, we'd go down the pub, have a um, just a debrief, just have a couple of rums each, and as we do, and you know, certainly not get on and give it a massive nudge, just just to chill out, yep. and that that was that yep. was the normal thing. Uh, yep. So yeah, I remember we did that, and I don't remember the rest 
sort of the day before or after. I obviously remember the middle. But my wife, since um, you know, years later after I was out of hospital and stuff, she's going, you were different that day when you got home. There was something about it that you were different. And I don't remember what I was like. But yeah, yeah. it's it yeah. certainly I was there was something which it it was sticking out where her camera picked it up. Mm. Isn't that um, I was going to say strange? I don't know if that's the right word, but obviously in those uh, previous six and a half years, you had been to uh, a lot of other traumas, a lot of other concerning incidents. Uh, so it's not like this was the first time you'd ever been confronted with something like that. It's really. It's, um, yeah, just how the, the mind works. It's yeah. incredible. Fascinating. Mm. I hadn't been to that type of suicide before. So yeah. I think there's something about that that mm. my mm. brain just wasn't built to be able to cope with or um, yeah. like there's arguments that, you know, was that the, the final drop of the bucket, my bucket overflowed, which I don't think it was because, you know, I went to uh, a fatal not long after that. And I, I, I can't remember much about it. Like I, I went through my day book just to say what I went to after it, just to try and work out in my own mind basically what we're saying. It's like, what, what, what is it about this? Mm. And this, I didn't even remember this photo. But then I go going through my notes, I had pages and pages of notes. I'm going, mm. oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that now. But it's it's it doesn't bring up any emotions in me. It doesn't that doesn't do anything. It's just it was just another job that I went to, albeit you know a tragic one. But it was you know like a, it didn't it didn't register. Yeah, no, I get that. Gee, I get that. <laughs> so yes, so fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is. And so, what and when was the first sign that maybe you hadn't managed the incident as well as you thought you had? Uh, a few months later, when I got my first detective position at the old um, TRS, and when I landed there and when I got me Yellow Freddy, you'll know what the, the power is when you get your first Yellow Freddy. Yeah. Um, we'd, we'd, we'd better explain just a yes. couple of things there first. The Yellow Freddy and the TRS. So the Yellow Freddy is uh, in uniform your... Badge, your police ID is blue, light blue. When you become a detective, it turns to yellow, and the police ID is called a Freddy, so the yellow Freddy. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's yeah. that's the aim. And yeah. <laughs> the, the old TRS was a tactical response squad, which is not tactical in the sense that guns and you know things like that, it's responding to kidnappings, blackmails, extortions, product contaminations, mm. that kind of, one yeah. of the crime squads. Yeah. So when I got there, like my aim was to always become a detective. But when I got there, I thought, good, I don't have to deal with trauma anymore. It wasn't the Yellow Freddy that I was most pleased about. It was that I didn't have to go to traumatic incidents anymore. And at the time, it means nothing. With a fair bit of knowledge and treatment and a lot more healthier brain, that's a huge red flag. Absolutely it is, yeah. Huge. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and then whenever, uh, probably, you know, this goes on an upwards, upwards scale. That's not scaling upwards. Mm. My use of the little language isn't real good. <laughs> um, 
it gets worse and worse each year. But whenever I'd hear about a trauma incident, my body would heat up a little bit. And I now know that's my anxiety rising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I was just avoiding uh, certain TV shows, uh, movies, things like that. Whenever a certain event was going to happen on movies, I'd turn away from it. Again, meant nothing then. Now means, yeah, huge red flags going left, right and centre. Mm. So when when you were getting hot, like you, you felt uneasy, let's say, yep. and you couldn't look at these scenes or whatever, did you tell anyone? And if not, why not? I didn't tell anyone because I just had no idea. Uh, it, it, it's quite, and again, this is the fascinating aspect of it all to me now when I look back at it. Mm. Like I certainly wasn't ever the world's best copper, but I certainly wasn't the world's worst. And one thing, when doing drug warrants, you know, like I'd always be very good at finding the drugs, thinking outside the box, so to speak, where's a good hiding spot? And I found some ripping hiding spots and I could do that. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I was always very a people watcher and I want to know why things work and I'll, you know, mm, this, yeah, that, and yeah. the next thing. Yet I've got these major events happening inside me and I had no idea. And that's like... I was never running away from it. I was never aware that, oh, you know what, I'm mentally injured here, but I can't, I feel weak. I, I never had any of that. Like, and I never have, but I just, I just didn't know. How I didn't pick up on the signs is, is absolutely beyond me. <laughs> and, you know, that's funny you say that because, when I do uh, my talks, I put up a, a slide of the signs that I ignored or I just didn't understand. And I say every. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Time. Now, when I put up this slide, you're going to think, how could you possibly ignore that or not know that there was something wrong? But like you just said then, you don't know, so how can you talk to anybody about it? You don't understand it. And that is why we need to educate people, which is exactly what we're doing now, but why we need to educate people about mental injuries and mental health. Be- because then people might understand earlier and not be in the position I am and that you've gone through yourself so many. we That's what we need to do. We need to talk about it. Spot on. Spot mm. on. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so by 2013, you were a shell of the person that you were, let's say, prior to 2003. Yeah, yeah that, that, was, that was the culmination really. So... Um, so basically that incident I attended in 2003 had just started chipping away at my resilience. And uh, by the time 2013 came along, I just didn't have any resilience left. Um, like I went to Nepal, which was a bucket list item to do the Annapurna circuit in September mm. 2012. Mm. And I got basically about halfway through the trip, or actually not even that, probably four or five days into it, you know, like, I'm sitting in my room, nestled in the um, Himalayas, this you know awesome river, raging, just unbelievably brilliant scene. But I'm in my room crying, and I had no idea why. You know, like looking back on that now, because depression was just strong within me. Uh, and like I had my first about a week later, I had my first real proper um, anxiety attack, and I thought I thought I was going to die in the uh, at you know about 4,000 metres in the Himalayas and um, very scary. Uh, Can you you tell us about that panic attack? Yeah, like it was – it had been building for a few days uh, and, again, because I didn't know what was going on, I didn't sort of put a whole lot of thought into it, but I remember we got to a place called Yakaka and I was sitting outside. um, It's about 4,000 metres and I was cold, so I put the jacket on, and I just felt something is definitely not right within me. And that, that was one of the first times I've sort of sat in it, to use that terminology. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go up, I'm going to lie down on bed, and I'm going to have a big sleep, and I'll wake up tomorrow and it'll be right. You know, standard male attitude, it'll be right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then... I remember lying down on, on on the bed and looking out the window and there's some stars out by this time, so oh, yeah, yeah, pretty good sight. And then my body started heating up and heating up and I started like to the point where I'm sweating. I'm like, what's going on here? And then the brain sort of starts going in the washing machine mode where all the thoughts are bouncing around. Um, started to shake a bit. And then, yeah, uh, felt a little bit uh, physically sick, as is as if the vomit, but not 
not huge, but just the body was hot by now. And yeah, I was shaking, and then then I started to get quite emotional. And the bloke I was rooming with, he woke up because he's already sleeping, and he goes, "Whoa, what's going on here?" He went and got the the trek leader, hmm. who come in, and by that time I'm yeah in complete meltdown mode. Gee. And again, not making light of it. That's just the terminology I use for me. Uh, and, and, you know, the trek leader had some good skills. He just put his hand on my shoulder nice and gently and he just told me to breathe, 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 breathe. So I started to sort of slow me breathing down a bit um, and got me down to a point and he said, uh, do you want to turn around? I said, yeah, I'm going home. So I turned around the next day and, he cut one of the porters loose with me and we walked back to, uh, yeah, walk on that 100 k's in two days to get to a bus, to get back to Kathmandu, to get back to Australia. But what the best part of that, <laughs> the best part, I say that in inverted commas, <laughs> yeah. um, I developed that the morning I turned around, uh, about 15 minutes into it, and I'd have been, already been walking for a week and a half, all of a sudden I developed this massive blister underneath my right foot. Uh, and it was painful, physically painful, but I loved it because it was taken away from all the mental pain that I was in. So then I, I tell myself uh, on the way back, I'm, I'm booking to see a psych as soon as I get home because clearly something's not right here. And then, of course, I get home. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And tomorrow came to the uh, 6th of February 2013. So again, three, four, what, nearly five months later, I still haven't booked in to see a site. And uh, the crime department and Intel COVID support, I was in Intel, had a dual training day uh, for health and wellbeing. Ah, right, cool. I'll go for a look. And Joe was up there, one of our lead psychs, champion bloke. Uh, and he had a slide up on the screen that, uh, had all these boxes that related to PTSD, depression, anxiety, and suicide. And I distinctly remember him. This is one of the flashbacks I've got. I can still see him stand there going, don't worry if you tick a box or two, generally everyone does. <laughs> what about every box? And I'm sitting there and I go, <laughs> I'm ticking yeah. every box. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Yeah. And I'm like, and I get, and then, and it, it's good that I can laugh about it now. And I love how yeah, you sorry, laugh. Sorry, I can too. Yeah, I can too. Yeah, 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 you, sorry, you yeah. can picture it. Um, <laughs> I can. Yeah. And I developed this feeling in my chest. It was that same feeling, and it's it's like the devil's butterflies. That's the about the only way I can sort of describe it. Which again is that anxiety coming up, and I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. And that's I'd realised. I'm in a world of trouble here. Uh, mm-hmm. So once his lecture was over, I went um, outside and I finally called welfare and booked in to see a psych, which was for the following Monday, but I'd never get there at 3 o'clock. Um, like I had this thought that, you know what, beauty, I've booked in, I'll go there, I'll have a session, I'll be right. I reckon I've had 250 psych sessions since and I've still got – you know, a lifetime of treatment ahead of me sort of thing. So, well, not treatment, maintenance now more than anything. Mm. But so I thought, all right, that's done. Then I went home Wednesday night and I just felt worse. It was like I was on a slippery slide and nothing was stopping me. 
I'm gonna, yeah. um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crash. Uh, and, and again, that's looking back. So I got home Thursday night, Friday, and well, I was at work. I was fine because I had something to do, and I was no one's right. No one picked it yep. up. Um, Karen, my wife, did say you need to go see someone about your sleeping habits. They're deplorable. And I said, well, I'm a shift worker. That's what happens. So, <laughs> yeah. so yes, um, that's the white flag goes up each and every time. Well, if you had to listen to me, yes, true, true. <laughs> I was wrong. You're right. <laughs> Um, so then, uh, I wake up the Saturday morning with a raging toothache, which is exactly what I needed. So, um, and that is sarcasm. Uh, so I, I gathered that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I booked in to see an emergency dentist and sure enough, root canal treatment, which was brilliant. Um, and then woke up on the Sunday morning. And I was working the cricket that day, voluntary duties. And, like, I love cricket. I've played it all my life. It's my favourite sport. And I, I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Just didn't want to be there. And when I, I caught myself thinking, I don't want to be here. Now, I might, when I'm sitting at the cricket, and I'm sitting on the ground, like, mm. getting paid to watch cricket. How good is this? But I was trying to determine, I don't want to be here. Do I don't want to be here at the cricket or I don't want to be here on this earth. And I couldn't make that distinction. I didn't know. So I was just so – and this is not quite the worst I've got. But, uh, you know, the game finished and beauty, I want to go home. And I got home, uh, I think it's about 11.40, 11.45, just you know, did a couple of things for 10 minutes and I went to bed and within two minutes of going to bed, I had what my first treater, uh, first psych in hospital called a catastrophic loss of self, oh, which sounds rather large. So yeah. basically- oh, look, It is. Yeah, 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 I've had it. So I know what it is. Um, so what that looks like is I don't like the terminology mental breakdown. I just, I, I don't like it. I don't like the it's it's icky to me, but that's what people sort of uh, understand. And it was a case of I had no resilience, I had no self worth, uh, I had no, I had nothing. You know, I was living and breathing, living. I was surviving. So uh, that that was. Um, but for some reason, my normal human brain shut down and my policing brain kicked in, which was very handy. So I grabbed, grabbed my phone and gave it to Karen and said, oh, I ring welfare. I'm, oh, I can't remember exactly what I said, but you know, I wasn't in good shape. So um, I'd had a, a huge anxiety attack. I was very wet and sweaty, wet as in you know, sweaty, um, pretty emotional, uh, so, yeah, it wasn't hard to work out that I wasn't in a particularly good spot at this at this moment in time. Um, and then Karen rang welfare and uh, very shortly after that, the on-call psych rang um, and she said, what are we going to do with you? And she said that in a good way, uh, kind of, you know, like, what's your thoughts? And I remember saying, well, if I'm me and I'm working and I come here and I speak to me, I'm saying you're going to hospital. Because I like, uh, I wasn't, 
I wasn't wasn't in any danger. I don't think. I can't be hundred percent sure. I'm pretty pretty sure though that suicide was never an option. Actually, that's I've contradicted myself. Um, suicide was never an option because I lost my mum when I was eight. So I know what it's like to grow up without a um, parent. So I'm not going to let my kids grow up without their dad through my own hand. Like mum was taken with um, from cancer. So that's, you know, so many people are in that same situation as me. So uh, I'm not going to let that happen. So I need to go to hospital because I don't overly feel safe. Um, it's a little bit murky in that area. So I had a uh, night in Footscray emergency, which was probably an experience unto itself if I actually had any proper thought processes going on. Um, and then a night in Footscray short stay unit. And I was, again, trying to put words around these things is really hard to describe what it's like. Just not not capable of thinking much. Just yep. Just a shell. It's it's hard, exceedingly difficult to describe. And it, and it's when you speak to people that understand that have been through the same thing. It's just it's just this little sort of nod at each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know what you're talking about. Um, and then I went down to the Geelong Clinic for for a week and a half. So nearly nearly a couple of weeks in hospital all up. So when I arrived down at Geelong, I uh, had a meeting with this uh, with a professor and a psychiatrist. And at this stage, like I didn't dislike and nothing against this, you know, the, the psych community. It's just I'd never really dealt with them. Like, oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, but this professor and, and like – I thought it would be a really good idea after having next to no sleep for a few days that I'd have a can of Red Bull on the way down to hospital. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Sorry, so, excuse me. Yeah. That just came out. Yeah. 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 So I get before this professor and the psychiatrist and I am off my head, like talking. <laughs> I'm telling a part of this story, a part of that one. It's like Pulp Fiction. I'm telling like five or six different stories of me and my life and what what I think's happened, but it's all bunched around together. And I'm think, and then I stopped, and I look back and I go, "How the hell could they have interpreted any of that?" And he had my personality and everything about me picked apart to a T within about fifteen minutes. And I've gone, "All right, respect." Um, Diagnosed PTSD, depression, anxiety, which it, at that stage was like, huh, that makes a bit of sense because my policing yes. brain was still sort of going quite strong. And I thought, ah, now things are starting to add up. And then I went to a room, shared with another bloke. He was coming off meds, so he was having a bad time of it. So they, I went to another room, which was a single room, single bed, and one of the first things I noticed when I walked in is a suicide-proof room, whereas the other one wasn't. And I thought, that's interesting. So I walked into the shower, um, bathroom area, pushed down on a handrail, and it, the handrail just collapses, so there's no hanging points. Mm. I thought, huh, okay, that's interesting. And then 
of a morning, uh, you would. I was only allowed to go out if I was supervised. And then so we'd go for a morning walk, supervised. And then on the little tick sheet, I had a little bit of a sneaky look at it. And they had me, um, uh, what's the word? The criteria of high risk of self-harm suicide. So that was uh, that was confronting to see that. And again, when I'm talking about my normal human brain would have gone, uh, whatever. But my policing brain was like, okay, shit's getting pretty real here. Okay, all right. So now I'm trying to plan what my life looks like, and but then I I'd think for a couple of minutes and I'd be exhausted. Like I, it was just all the gas had been taken out of me. Uh, and then we'll have you know have a couple of um, sessions with the with the psych um, every day. And at one stage, it was pretty early on actually. She said, "Geez, you're weird." And I thought, that's exactly what I want to hear when I'm. Locked up in a psych unit. <laughs> and she goes, no, 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 no. What I mean is that people who sit in that seat there hardly talk. I cannot get you to shut up. <laughs> and I'm still looking at her going, and? And she goes, and that is a really good thing. Ah. Oh, good. Oh, okay, so it's good to talk. Because I, I did work out pretty early that the more I talk about it, the better I feel. Yeah. And, and look, to be honest, in those stages, in those early days, um, if you could feel 1% better or half a percent better, it was a big relief because it was um, like it's just a bad, it's the bad land. It's a bad, bad place to live. So that all got through uh, about another week or so and then uh, – I kind of say this half-jokingly when I'm presenting about it, and I sort of say, for those of you that haven't been locked up in a psychiatric facility, and it hardly ever gets a laugh because people are still a bit... Really? This is, you know, it's a little bit confronting, but I don't see it as confronting because I've lived it and I've spoken about it a thousand times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was really good because I had people come in and just little lessons every day. So there's, you know, on diet, they'd get a dietitian come in and then... An exercise physiologist, maybe, that come in and talk about the power of um, exercise. And this lady come in one day and spoke about mindfulness. And I'd never heard of the word. I thought, oh, oh, that sounds pretty cool. All right, yeah, I'll give that a go. And then it was the Friday night of the first week I was in there. And I was lying in bed. Like, I didn't want to speak to anyone else other than the psychs and the nurses. I wasn't there to make friends, basically. Um, yeah. And I just, like, I had to sleep with the nightlight on and I had to sleep with the door open. And, like, there's all this different stuff going on, which is just so foreign to me. And I started feeling worse. And I didn't think I was capable of feeling worse, but I, was, I could feel myself slipping downwards, further down the rabbit hole. So I thought, ha, mindfulness, I'm going to give that a go. And she said, have a shower, either just pure cold shower or have a hot shower, not so it scolds you. Have the water on the back of your neck and just concentrate on the water and it'll help ground you. All right, I'm going to give that a go. Now, being a huge, huge soup for cold water, that was never an option. So I'm going to go the hot water. But... 
site clinics don't have hot water because then people can um, self-harm. So it's lukewarm at best. So my, my first attempt at mindfulness was a flaming failure. And then I just found, like, I, I just, I sunk down and I was just sitting down. I had my knees against my chest and uh, that was me bottoming out. Like, I mm. I wasn't crying. I was, you know, too, yeah, you can use the word sad, but sad's not the, um, it doesn't represent where I was. Mm. Like, it was a place where I had the most unbelievably powerful realisation Ah, this is why people suicide, because it's just not sustainable to continually live with this feeling, and this this feeling of uh, utter despair. Uh, it's just black. It, it, it's the most horrible, horrible feeling, and like part of me knew that I was really early in my treatment. Uh, I wasn't medicated, but there's always medication. I've got a great family. I've got great friends. I've got a supportive workplace. You know, I've got all these positives around me that I know will help get me back. But sitting there going, for people who don't have support, there's there's only one way out because you can't live. You can't live with that amount of mental pain you just couldn't do it so it took me and I was telling myself get up call a nurse get up call a nurse it took me 10 minutes to actually get up dry get dressed pop back into bed press the nurse's button like 10 minutes like it's, it's amazing amazingly bad because it's just had such an unbelievably strong power over me hmm. So then the, the nurse walked in. She said she had this little grin on her face. You don't look too good, which was like. Thanks for that. Yeah. Nah, good. I actually feel like no. shit. <laughs> but like we'd already had a fair bit of, you know, black humor. She knew yeah, about yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. So which was, yeah. you know, I'd much rather that than her coming going, oh, sweetie, you don't look too good. You know, are you okay? <laughs> nah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, she said, yeah. can I give you a Valium? She goes, I know you're not uh, medicated and you don't want to be medicated just yet. Uh, and I said, yeah. And look, to be truthful, she could have said, so what I basically said to the, the um, professor in my first meeting, he said, let's talk medication. And I said, well, let's not. You kind of looked at me. Mm. And I said, look, I'm not against it but I want to see how far I can take it first before I need mm. medication. And I'm medicated now and I'll be probably medicated for the rest of my life and that's fine. But I mm. just wanted to see how far I could take it. And truth be known, when that nurse came in the Friday night, she could have said, I'm going to give you a magic pill, take it all away. I wouldn't have cared what it was. Just give me it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could not live with that pain. So, so she gave me a Valium and I remember I was sitting back watching Austin Powers Gold Member on the TV and the Valium was just brilliant it just settled she said look it's a muscle relaxant it'll help you relax and i felt it i felt felt like i was resting into a cloud and that's um i've got to be very very careful uh with with how i use valium like i haven't had one for months and months and months and um 
I've got them everywhere, stashed everywhere at work, in the car, at home. But they're, they're just a safety blanket because they are obviously powerfully addictive. So you've got to be very, very careful with the usage of them. So, um, and that it basically put me to sleep and I woke up the next day and I wasn't in that mental pain anymore. I was still feeling completely and utterly shit ass, but mm-hmm. I didn't have that real excruciating pain. And I haven't been there since back to those levels, which is um, obviously a good thing. And that that's, you know, that, that's why I feel incredible empathy for the, for the people who do take their lives because I know, you know, well, I don't know what they're going through, but I've got a fair idea what, um, oh, yeah. what their yeah. brains were doing to them. Hmm. You, you said that there's just one thing there that I, uh, well, there's a number of things I'd like to ask you about, but first of all, I just think it's interesting that it wasn't only your mind that was shutting down when you talked about the toothache and let's say the blister when you were uh, in Nepal coming back. So your body is also shutting down, isn't it? All these major things are happening because, yeah, it's just shutting down. Um, and, And the only other thing, half sort of amusing, but I thought it was interesting that you just said then when you didn't want the cold shower, you said, I'm a bit of a sook for cold water, but yet you'll go to the Himalayas and freeze your bits off. Yeah. Like, really? But you can warm up. I love winter. Winter's great because you can warm up. But, but yeah, sitting in cold water. But that's like I've tried to have cold water showers because they're really good for you and uh, I I, I just – I, I, I struggle with it. I struggle. Yeah, no, yeah I, I just saw the amusing <laughs> side. Hey, so can you tell us when you were in hospital, you started to think about how you could help other people in this position that you didn't want anyone to go through this. Tell us what happened. Isn't Mark just amazing to listen to next week? Mark takes us through the difference between a companion dog and an assistance dog and the amazing story about Jimmy, the assistance dog, who Mark has watched in action and the deep understanding that Jimmy has with his companion, who is a a very troubled policeman who's learning to go out in public again, and thanks to Jimmy. Uh, Mark also talks about the power of having a supervisor who understands mental illness and the difference that he made to Mark's working life. Mark's been able to return to uh, full-time work because and only because of his supervisor's knowledge and understanding of, let's say, PTSI in particular, but mental illness. Um, Also, Mark talks about some recruits that have started seeing a psych and forming a relationship being proactive before they actually get out onto the street. And I just think what a fantastic message uh, something is getting through out at the academy to the recruits. I just think what a what a great idea that is. Um, and just lastly, uh, which I think this, this is more important to me, not that the other stuff isn't, but Mark shares with us the changes which have slowly been introduced 
into Victoria Police members who are required to view child abuse material, as I was, and which uh, I have no doubt was my undoing. He tells us about the graduated approach that VicPol are taking in exposing members to child abuse material rather than almost like dumping them into this horrific world which many of us couldn't deal with. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed this week, but trust me, next week is just as amazing. Have a great week. Bye. As you've probably noticed, we've moved to a new platform called ACAST. I think that's the right expression, I've got no idea. And my previous reviews haven't transferred over. I need reviews. (laughs) Could you do me a favour and put up a review? And thank you so much for your support and patronage. With your help, I can give you that little bit extra. Thanks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.